0: love. And so today, as we honor our moms, we're honoring you, the God who made us, the God who created us. And Lord, there are some who are here today that this is a painful day because maybe they didn't have a good mom minister to them. And there are some today who would love to experience motherhood, but they haven't been able to thus far. And we pray for them And ask you, Lord, if it would please you to work that miracle in their life, we pray that you would. And Father, we pray for those mothers who are here today that hurt because their children are not right with God. And we pray for them, that you would bring prodigals home, that you would help, and that you would save, and that you would do a great work in families, as only you can do. And Father, we could go on with many other things we just ask you to minister hope minister healing and we give you words of thanks and we thank you for who you are and how you have made us and the way you have ordered things how well it works how great it is so to god be the glory and thank you so much in jesus name that we pray amen okay you may be seated 2 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, It's where we are today, we'll pick up, and I want to talk about something intrigued me, both while I was in Israel, and then while I was reading and studying for these verses. there was a word that jumped out to me, and uh, I want to talk about that, because I'm afraid that uh, by any objective standard, what we're doing today in terms of passing off the baton to new generations, we're kind of struggling in that area. And uh, not only we, speaking of our church, but as a society, and we as just Christianity in general, something's not quite right. And I wonder what it is. And maybe what Paul says to the Thessalonians can kind of help us. Now, they've been all messed up over the second coming. And so Paul gives them a doctrinal teaching. And doctrine should always settle you. It should always comfort you. And it all should always make you just kind of have a sigh of relief. God knows what he's doing. God is in control. <coughs> Pardon me. And things are going to work out. And so uh, then he goes in and he gives them a word of, of exhortation. Paul gave words of comfort and exhortation much more than he ever gave the tough stuff that he would do from time to time. He was tender among them, and he said like a nursing mother, nursing mothers don't tend to be rough and gruff or anything like that. He said, we were tender among you like a loving father. And so uh, he does that again to uh, these people after he tells them, what is going to happen, to find comfort in that, you have not missed the rapture, you've not missed the coming of the Lord, and it's all taken care of, it's all the way that it is supposed to be. Uh, I remember a long time ago hearing about a couple, they got married, and uh, they were having one of their first meals together, you probably heard this, and uh, they were having roast beef, and the uh, Uh, young bride, she took a knife and she cut off the end of the roast beef and the groom said why did you do that? She goes well that's the way my mother always did it and so uh, he said well that seems weird and so uh, she said well it's just the way we've always done it. So before long she gets to thinking about it so she calls her mom mom why did you always cut off that one end of the roast beef and she said I don't know That's the way my mom always did it. That's just the way we've always done it. And so uh, after a while, it got to bothering her. So she called her mom. And she said, Mom, why did you always cut off the end of the roast beef? And she said without hesitation, because I didn't have a big enough pan. There was a reason for all of it, but it had turned into just an empty, meaningless tradition that nobody understood. Kind of like Memorial Day. How many people do you think really understand what Memorial Day is all about? I don't think very many because most of the time I think even President Obama did. They get it mixed up with Veterans Day. One is for the living and one is for the dead. You figure it out. One is for those who gave their lives in battle. And one is to recognize anyone, anywhere who has served at any time. But we don't know. All we think of is, it's time to go to the beach. It's the start of summer. We forget there was a reason for Memorial Day. We think about, I heard somebody ask somebody from Mexico, do you have the 4th of July in Mexico? And they looked at him like, of course we have the 4th of July. It's on the calendar. You know what he meant by that? Do you have American Independence Day in Mexico? And of course the answer would be no. Because the 4th of July, as we call it, is really something more than a date on the calendar. There's a reason behind the tradition. Well, it's a day we shoot off fireworks. Why? That's a remembrance of when the Star Spangled Banner was written And the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. And Francis Scott Key, in that battle on that British ship, he would use the light of the rockets to see if the stars and stripes were still flying over Fort McHenry in the War of 1812. That was the birth of that poem that he wrote that was later put to music and became our national anthem. And when we think about the 4th of July, we celebrate that, not just because we like fireworks, but to remember our independence and the birth of our nation. But have you noticed, those of you who are older have seen this, our traditions have been kind of set aside. They mean less and less and less (coughs) to the point that We don't really even know much of our history or what they are all about or even why we do any of the things that we do. And that leads me to uh, the text that we have this morning, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 15. Now listen to how Paul, he doesn't say, now you should have known all of this stuff. I told you all of this before. We had a tour guide Israeli tour guide, and uh, sometimes she would say, does anybody have any questions? Somebody would say, well, what about this or this? And she was very quick to say, I've already told you about that. You should have listened, and you should have already known that. And then she wouldn't answer it half the time. And uh, that's true. Now, Paul could have done that. Paul could have said, now, you bunch of morons, don't you understand what I told you? You got to listen. You got to pay attention. Would have been true, but he didn't say that. Look what he says. Verse 13. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you. You people who don't listen. You people who don't get it. You people who don't pay attention. You people who don't apply what we've told you. Sound familiar? That could be me. That could be you. And yet Paul is very tender toward them. We give thanks to God always for you. Notice the next word he used. Brethren, beloved by the Lord. Why? Because God from the beginning chose you for salvation sanctific- through sanctification by his spirit and belief in the truth, verse 14, to which he called you by our gospel are you on on our good news for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ now therefore brethren stand firm stand fast and hold to the and here's the word that got my attention the traditions which you were taught whether by word the preaching of the apostle Paul or by our epistle, the writings of the Apostle Paul. Either way, he's tying them back to not just any tradition for any reason at any time, or just because we've always done it that way, not a good reason. He's tying it back to what the Apostles said and what the Apostles wrote, the Word of God or Scripture. There's nothing wrong with Scriptural Tradition, don't abandon that. In fact, he said, hold fast to it. We need those kind of things. Now, we come from a Southern Baptist uh, tradition, I guess we'd call it, that tends to kind of reject tradition. Over the years and over time, our forefathers looked at what other churches, what other traditions, what other denominations did, and they said, no, we don't want to do that. We want to be tied down to the the Bible. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's why when you come to a Southern Baptist church, you're not going to find, for the most part, there may be some exceptions, but you're not going to find the pastor wearing a liturgical robe. Can you imagine? That'd be hot, for one thing. And uh, we just say, no, we're not going to do that. That's why when you come to a Southern Baptist church, we don't typically stand and recite the Lord's Prayer, or the Apostles' Creed, or the Nicene Creed. Nothing wrong with that, but we have kind of been from a tradition of people that said, no, we don't want formalism. We don't want those type of things. Now, part of that is because our forefathers saw that so many people, so many Christians, so many denominations would go through all of that in just... Meaningless, empty words. As Jesus warned us about, vain repetition, just empty words and thoughts. That's always a danger. By the way, we have our own empty words and our own empty thoughts, don't we? Sometimes we pray the same old thing in the same old way with the same old phrases without any thought in it. And it's uh, just one of those empty, meaningless Things that we do. Now, God never intended for us just to go through a bunch of empty, meaningless, tiring, boring rituals. We also have our other things. We all know that Baptists don't dance, Baptists don't drink, Baptists don't cuss, Baptists um, are evangelistic. We all witness. We know that we always sing hymns out of hymnals, and we know that our services. And our programs and our doctrines are very similar. Uh, You know, it's uh, the way it used to be. I can remember, because I lived all over the world and all over the United States, no matter where we went, we would go to a Southern Baptist church. And you know what happened? Basically the same order of service, basically the same type of sermon, basically the same songs. We knew all of them. And uh, it was kind of like going to mcdonald's go to mcdonald's in california the big mac is going to taste pretty much like a big mac in oklahoma city a quarter pounder in washington state will taste like a quarter pounder in texas they were all kind of the same they may not have been good or great but you knew what you were going to get had a friend that came out of the presbyterian church and uh, he became a southern baptist and he said one thing that i liked about southern baptist churches is no matter where you visited wherever you went they were all kind of the same you knew what you were going to get it was a you know religious quarter pounder i guess you would say well you can't say that anymore can you you can't say these things that i just mentioned about baptists anymore because most people i don't know about most But an awful lot don't hold to those same things and we're not the same as we used to be. Now, is that bad? Could be. Is it good? Could be. Change can always be a good thing. If your tradition is just uh, mindless, vain, and uh, uh, something that is meaningless and unbiblical, you probably ought to let that one go. But if it's something that ties down to the Word of God and is helpful, then maybe not so much. But I think we can all agree we live in a time where tradition has been kind of put by the wayside in every aspect and every area of our life, even our religious life. And this is uh, part of the reason why uh, I remember when I was a kid, I had a friend who was from another denomination, and he said a word I had never heard before. And he said, tonight I'm going for my, to the last of my catechism. Catechism. I had never heard that word in my life. What in the world is a catechism? I thought he was going to a doctor or something. And, you know, I had that thing removed. Get rid of my catechism. I didn't know what it was. He was going through that because he was in the process of confirmation. And what their church did is they put you through the catechism. We did that one time in Sunday school with the New City Catechism. Questions and answers. And you've got to be able to put all those together. And when you do, then they would confirm you as a believer. Confirm you in the faith and you would have your first communion or something like that. Never heard of it. Why? Because Baptists, Southern Baptists, typically had kind of laid those things aside. It seemed to some of our forefathers as, we just preach the Bible. We don't need all that ritualistic mumbo-jumbo. Well, they would have been surprised to know that their hero, Charles Spurgeon, used catechisms in his church. But we abandoned those kind of things... And uh, now we find people who don't really know what their heritage is. I would dare say that the majority of people who gather on a Sunday morning in Southern Baptist churches have no idea how the church was founded. They have no idea what the doctrines of the Baptist church are. They don't really get any of those kind of things. They don't know the history. They don't know about our martyrs. They don't know about the price that was paid for us to be what we are now. They don't know about the surge of evangelism where during the 50s and the 60s we went from being a regional, uneducated, unimportant, unknown denomination to surge to become the largest non-Catholic denomination in the United States. That we're in all 50 states now and that we are one of the most diverse denominations in the United States, ethnically. Most people don't really know, don't really care. If you announce, I'm going to preach a series of messages on Baptist Baptist history, you'll pretty much empty the church for that period of time because we don't know. And we kind of have a thing that says, we don't know and we don't care. Somebody was knocking on doors, taking a survey, and interrupted a man Uh, On a morning, obviously, that didn't want to be interrupted. And so what do you think is the biggest problem in America? Ignorance or apathy? The man's response, you ready? I don't know, and I don't care. And slam the door. That's kind of where we live. And because of that, our Constitution is being upended and shredded, in my opinion, So many things that held us together and glued us together as a nation, they're being done away with. People don't know them. They don't care to know those kind of things. They don't mean anything anymore except just having fun, shooting off firecrackers, getting drunk, or whatever you might want to do. And it is destroying us. Well, I would say when Paul said to the Thessalonians, hold fast to the traditions you've received, I think there's some meaning in that. And I think it's through tradition that we actually pass things down to new generations. Case in point, on Monday, May 1st, I think I've got that right, uh, there's a picture that I want to show you here. And uh, maybe out of order, but uh, if you look at that, that is the Wailing Wall. And I was able to go to the Wailing Wall Put my hands on it and pray. I was able to pray and praise the God that had uh, created us. To praise the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because that is my God as well. I was able to praise God for his hand on the land of Israel. Sustaining that land, caring for that land, restoring that land. And I was joined, as you can see, by many Other people. Now, As I thought about that, I thought, how amazing. People would travel from all over the world to come for the privilege of putting their hands on that wall or writing out a prayer and putting it into the cracks that are there. And I thought, what an amazing thing. And I looked around and uh, I saw people that were dressed kind of like I was dressed. I saw other people that were dressed a whole lot different than I was dressed. I saw the Orthodox Jews and Reformed Jews and secular Jews and others, and they were all there in the land of Israel coming to the site where Solomon's temple stood and praying there at this ancient wall, praying for the Messiah to come, praying for God to cast off their enemies, all kinds of things like that. I thought about all of that and I thought, this religion was established when God made his covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. You ready for this? 3,500 years ago. You can't scare up a Hittite. You can't scare up an Ammonite. How many of you have passed by a temple to Baal lately? How many of you have been driving by and you've seen something from 3,500 years ago? Well, most of us are not even sure what happened 3,500 years ago. We wouldn't recognize it if we saw it. We're having trouble remembering the traditions of our own nation from 240 years ago, much less 3,500 years ago. And yet the Jews are going strong. Not only are they going strong, their religion has survived among all those others you read about in the Old Testament. The Jewish religion is still going strong. You think about their families, you think about what they do, it's absolutely amazing. Every year we have a tradition of watching Christ in the Passover and we see the traditions of what the Jews do that point to Jesus. They don't understand it, but we do, and it's absolutely amazing. Why is that going on? Because of Abraham, because of Isaac, because of Jacob. And they passed that on to their children, and their children passed it on to their children. Well, of course, if I'd lived back then, I would be more faithful too. Really? Have you ever thought about the history of Israel? Have you ever thought about the persecutions that they have gone through? Are you familiar with the Holocaust of the 20th century? Are you familiar with all of the nations that have battled and warred on that land, conquered that land, destroyed all of the Jewish sites, raised up pagan sites, raised up Muslim sites, all kinds of things like that? And only to have another empire come in, tear all of those sites down, and to build their own sites down. It's absolutely amazing. And yet we drove into the land of Israel. The Israeli flag was flying. We drove into Jerusalem, the same city where Christ walked and where Christ ascended and where Christ is going to return. We were there with those people who don't fully understand everything, and yet they are doing what their ancestors did. The Southern Baptist Convention was formed in 1845, not terribly long before the Civil War. We are watching ourselves in steady decline now, and yet the Jews have gone on 3,500 years Willing to die for what they believe. Willing to endure whatever may come their way because of what they believe. And I began to think about that and I thought, here we are in our denomination where we abandon and unhitch from tradition. We hate it. We say, give me something new. Do something different. And we're wondering why we are failing to pass things on to our children. I think there's something going on in all of this. I'll read you a little bit of an article. This is a Southern Baptist article. It's not written by our enemies. It's not written by anyone else. This is a Lifeway article. We own Lifeway. And it says, Nashville-based Lifeway research reported May ninth, May 9th, that the SBC had thirteen point two million members in 2022, down from thirteen uh, million sixty-eight in twenty twenty-one. That loss of four hundred fifty-seven thousand three hundred seventy-one. Members is the largest in more than a century, according to the annual church profile compiled by Lifeway. Once a denomination of 16.3 million people, the SBC has declined by 1.5 million members since 2018 and by more than three million members since 2006. The COVID-19 pandemic played a role in the downturn, as did the reality that as older members die, there are fewer young people to replace them. Some of you can remember back in the 50s when our denomination was young, coming back from World War II, filled with GIs and their families, upwardly mobile, and churches were planted and established in different neighborhoods. And uh, we've got them all over Oklahoma City. They're closed now, many of them, and struggling, many of them. And we find that even as a denomination, it's not just older churches, it's all of them. It's all of them. We are dying as a denomination. What's going on? When I was in my 20s, in the 80s, we were fighting a battle for the Bible. And we were told we are building the greatest evangelistic denomination. That when we can win this battle for the Bible, there will be revival in our pulpits, revival in our churches, and revival in our nation. Because as the largest denomination in America that's not Catholic, we will have an input from north to south and east to west. Forty years later, where are we? What happened? And as one person said, we won the battle for inerrancy of Scripture. We lost the battle for the sufficiency of Scripture. Are we reading the Bible? Are we believing the Bible? Are we applying the Bible to what we have? No, we're chasing feelings. We're chasing new things we're chasing anything and everything that we can we're trying to get away from guilt we're trying to get away from conviction we're trying to get away from repentance we're trying to get away from holiness we're trying to get away from all of those things so that we can have something that the bible never uses we want to have an experience an experience and so when we do that we chase all kinds of things and paul said Hold fast to the traditions. Hold fast to the traditions that you have. Now, looking back at the text, I want to uh, show you kind of a little bit of how Paul was going to uh, carry on the work that he did and how he wanted them to carry it on. And it's a word for us as well. Number one would be this. He says that we need to be demonstrating gratefulness. That we become known as Baptists as people who gripe, people who complain, people who are negative, people who are angry, people who can't get along, all of that kind of stuff. And yet Paul said, But we are, and notice the word here, we're bound. We are obligated to give thanks to God always for you. When do we stop being thankful for one another? When did we start thinking it was okay to gripe? It was okay to gossip? When do we think it was okay to complain? When do we think it was okay to be negative instead of being thankful? Now, I know America that we live in now is not the America that it was intended to be. But I still would rather live here than any place else on the face of the earth. I'm still grateful for the freedoms that we have. They may be eroding, but they're still here. This is why we're doing what we are doing. When is the last time we got on our faces and wept and thanked God for the freedoms that we have in America instead of complaining? Something has happened to us. We're not joyful. We're not happy. We're not walking around grateful for everything God has done. And yet Paul said, it is a living obligation. Bound, he said. When you find somebody that has been indicted, let's say, say that uh, maybe a grand jury has brought charges against them. And they are, the judge might say, bound over for trial. You know what that means? They better show up. They better show up. They have to go to trial. Paul said, we have to give thanks for you. And I want you to think about that and to practice. Do you give thanks for your husband? You can gripe about him. Do you give thanks for your wife? Well, you can gripe about her. Do you give thanks for your kids or your parents? You sure can find their flaws. Well, you are bound to give thanks for all of them. And maybe we started dying because we quit being thankful. And we just started taking it for granted. This is just the way it is. No big deal. No, it is a big deal. And we should be thankful for it. It costs Christ his life to have what we have in the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, maybe we forgot what a child of God actually is. Notice he gives a description of a child of God. For a lot of people... I pastored a lot of churches and served in a lot of churches. I've heard this kind of stuff. What is a Christian? You know, we uh, think about Matt Walsh and his documentary, What is a Woman? Obviously, to counter the woke movement. Well, maybe a good thing for us to do would be to go from church to church across our convention and ask the average person in the pew, What is a Christian? What is a Christian? And for a lot of them, they'd say, Oh, somebody who walks an aisle. Oh somebody who gets dunked in a baptistry. Oh, it's somebody who goes to church. Oh, it's somebody who lives by a certain code of ethics. Not according to Paul. Paul said that a Christian is somebody who is, well at first word, brethren, they're in the family of God. He says that they are beloved by the Lord. And then he talks about uh, their calling that they because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification. That means being set apart by the Spirit and belief in the truth. It wasn't your decision. It wasn't your code of ethics. It's not your actions. It's not the way you think. It is a work of God, a sovereign God in your life. That's what a Christian is. And if that's not what happened in your life, then you may be a lot of things, but Christian isn't one of them. And we started substituting all of these things for what a Christian is. Well, I know they never went to church and I know they were drunk every weekend and I know that they had 15 kids out of wedlock. But one thing I know for sure, they're in heaven because they were a Christian. Why? They prayed a prayer during Bible school in 1963. Have you ever heard anything like that? And they tell us The way you Baptists believe in once saved, always saved. If I believed that, I'd live any way that I wanted to live so I could go to heaven. Well, they're right. That's what a lot of us are doing. That's what a lot is happening because we have dumbed down what it means to be a Christian and even the uh, definition of a Christian. Maybe that's why we're losing. We're calling people to become something we don't even know what it is. We don't even know how to define it. We don't even know what it is when it comes before us. Well, it may be or it may not be. We need to do some thinking, some learning, some studying, some application. Number three, maybe it's because we lost a sense of of destiny and calling. It needs to be made clear. God did not save you so you could have a church to go to. God did not die on the cross and shed his precious blood so that you could have some better friends than you would find in a bar. God did not put his son on the cross and butcher him so that maybe you could have a little happier life where your dad's not drunk every week and where mom is not sleeping around or anything like that. I hope those things are true, but that's not the point. Notice he said, to which he called you. He called you. You were drafted. You didn't enlist in the army. You were drafted, called by God, and called through the gospel. Do you realize what you understand about the gospel? That most people in the world don't even know what it is, much less what it means. You've been privileged. You have a high Calling on your life. You're not called just to get by till Jesus comes. You're not called to just muddle through somehow until you die. You have a high calling to be an ambassador for Christ, a child of the King to represent Him, which God called you uh, by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, folks, God lives in you. Everywhere you go, God is with you. Everywhere you go, his power is with you. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Lift up your head. Quit moping around. Quit acting like the world's got it made. Quit acting like they're the ones that are cool. We're the losers. And if we could just be more like them, we could have more impact. No, we've got to be more like Jesus. And understand his word. But most people don't care. Most people just say. Get me through an hour or so on Sunday morning. And leave me alone. Let me do what I want to do. No wonder we are dying. We don't see the glory of Christ. Back in about the 80's. We started dropping all of our traditions. We don't know what our doctrine is. We don't know what our worship style is. You never know what you're going to run into. If you go To a Baptist church on Sunday morning. It may be charismatic. They may be speaking in tongues. It may be formal and liturgical. It may be similar to ours. It may be any number of things. We started dropping all of that kind of stuff. We started saying I don't want to be taught. I don't want to be trained. I don't want to have to do anything. Something happened about 1980. Where people said. I don't want to do anything in the church. I just want to go. I just want to go. Get it over with. And slip out. People like to worship in dark auditoriums now. So nobody sees them. Nobody knows that they're there. Nobody can check on them. They can slip in. They can slip out. There's no type of accountability. No sense of service. We have churches now that are amassing crowds. And crowds are anonymous. And crowds are always fickle. You know, if you get them with a hot dog, I can get them with a hamburger, they used to say. And uh, when all of that happens, what goes along with that? They slip in and they slip out. They go one place one week, another place another week. They don't build relationships and they don't get real involved in all of this. This is the world in which we live. And that changed somewhere around 1980. Church was not something that I become a part of. I am the church, we used to say. It's now something we go to. It's an institution. It's an amusement park in some cases. It's something that people just go to, put in their time, and then run and do everything that they want. Papa Sam used to say, Come as you are, leave as you came. And that is so true for a lot of people. And so this is just really, really sad to me because Paul said, Hold fast to the traditions. That we gave you, traditions that are apostolic, traditions that are biblical, uh, that's the standard that we need. Now, we have some warnings in the Bible against this. Traditionalism is of the devil, and just blindly following tradition is not what we want. We're not into preserving a certain point of history. We are into doing things that are meaningful and helpful that remind us of Christ. Think of the Lord's Supper. Uh, There's no power in that bread. There's no power in that juice. But the power is do this in what? Remembrance of me is what Christ said. That's where the power is. Now, Jesus had some problems with traditionalists. For example, traditions can become tools for judging other people. Matthew 15, 1 and 2, that's exactly what the Pharisees did. You're not following our traditions, not biblical commands, traditions. That can happen to us. Somebody walk in, come in off the street, called by God to come in here, but yet we can't accept them because they're not quite the way we think that they ought to be in order to come to church. How dare a person like that come to church? That's a horrible thing to think of. That's what happens when traditions become tools for judging. You know, uh, you can find other things that happen. Traditions can, for example, become the ruler or the master. Uh, Matthew fifteen three, that happened. And... Uh, Jesus said that, uh, he talked about, why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? A lot of churches do that every week. They'll break the commandment of God, but don't change anything that we do or the way that we do it. We'll go to war over that. Believe whatever you want to believe, but don't change the carpet. And don't, ch- well, I know a church that's split over whether the offering was going to be after the third hymn or at the end of the service. They split over that. And we wonder why we're dying. And we wonder why we don't have any impact. Tradition can exalt human preferences over Scripture. Why do you do it that way? I don't know. It's just the way we like it. I like it that way. Don't change it. Even if the Bible says something different. Mark chapter 7 verse 3. And also, uh, think about this, tradition is like fire. It's a great servant, but it is destructive when out of control. Isn't that right? I mean, think about how we use fire. We heat our homes with fire. We cook our food with fire. But yet you let that fire get out of control and do what it wants to do, and your house will burn down. Tradition is like that. Colossians Chapter 2, verse 8. So when Paul says, hold on to tradition and hold fast to it, uh, you got to be careful about all of that because it can turn in to something that uh, you don't really want. So let's kind of sum everything up here about what we're talking about when we talk about tradition. Um, we want to focus on these positive things. Tradition is what connects the generations, And tradition is what passes on and reinforces truth. How often has baptism in the Lord's Supper traditions that we have, commandments that we have, but we do them traditionally, uh, how many times has that been used to show somebody the truth of the gospel? It should always, of course, point to Christ. It should connect the generations. We're all in here as baptized believers as members of this church. And if you've never been baptized since you've been saved, you ought to. That's a commandment of the Lord Jesus Christ. Join us. We would love to be able to uh, see you baptized scripturally. And uh, it also passes on and reinforces truth. How many little kids in the Lord's Supper have said, why can't I have the piece of bread? And it gave you the opportunity to say, you haven't trusted christ yet but someday you'll understand that the body and the blood that is represented by the cup and the bread represents what jesus did for us on the cross how many of you have had that conversation with your little children maybe years ago but it gave you the opportunity that's what tradition should do and it also makes us look at something higher than ourselves i hope when you get a piece of bread and a a little bit of juice that you don't look and say, oh man, if I only had peanut butter for this bread, man, it would be really good. I hope you don't do that. And I hope you don't look at the, at the juice and look at that and go, wonder why the cup's so small. Wonder why they don't use alcohol. Wonder why any of that happens. I hope you don't do that. I hope when you look at the bread and the cup, you think, what a wonderful Savior. What a great God. What a great salvation. What a wonderful, wonderful gospel that we have our traditions should cause us to look up it also should make us think more deeply about everything that we do and then it should make our children we've already referenced this ask questions the first question of passover the youngest child asks this what makes this night different from all other nights and there that jewish papa has the opportunity to drive a Mack truck through that opening to tell them about Father Abraham and Isaac and to talk about Moses and to talk about slavery in Egypt and to talk about the plagues and to talk about all of the things that God did to bring the Jews out of slavery in Egypt. That's what our tradition should do. Give us the opportunity to talk about Christ, to talk about what God has done, to talk about where he has brought us. And that's why... We end on this Mother's Day by saying, moms especially, your family will put pressure on you to deny family traditions, to put them aside, to do something different. And I'm going to beg you, don't do it. They'll understand it someday. Use it to point to Christ. Use it to point to the things that grandma and grandpa did and great-grandma and great-grandpa did. And use it to connect the generations together, because if we ever needed it, we need it now. And if we ever needed it in the church, we need it now. I have a burden in my heart to reach younger people and young couples for Jesus Christ. Somebody's got to carry on after we are gone. And we want them to come and to join us and to be blessed by the things that we do. By the preaching of the word, by our prayers, by our giving, by some of the things that have been life-changing to you in the past, they desperately need to know these things. But if every time we turn around we're clamoring, clamoring for the next big thing and the newest thing and the next greatest fad, we may get the smile and the applause of some people for a while, but before long they'll be gone because, again, If you can get them with a hot dog, I can take them away with a hamburger. There'll be something bigger, newer, neater, flashier, cooler, whatever it'll be later on. You see, our attraction at Graceway is not that we have the biggest, greatest, flashiest, most up-to-date programs. You all know better than that. But we do have the greatest Savior that the universe has ever known. We have a gospel that can reach anybody, anywhere, at any time with salvation. And lives can be changed. If you're an addict and you're here this morning, you're in the right place. If you're in a struggling marriage this morning and you're feeling guilty because all these other people have (coughs) perfect marriages and you're the only one, well, number one, that's not true. And number two, I welcome you because you're in the right place. If you're the kind of person where you struggle with sin and temper and you struggle with pornography and you struggle with those kind of things and you say, what am I doing here? And the devil whispers in your ear, you don't belong here. Hear it from me. You're in the right place because we can't do anything for you. We don't have any of those answers, but the gospel does. And if you will repent of your sins and put your faith in a person, not an institution, in a person... Jesus Christ, he can deliver you from all of those things. He can change your life because he has done it for us. And all God's people said, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. Have you trusted him and repented of your sins and put your full trust in what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary and that he rose from the dead? And trust me, if he can rise from the dead, he can handle any problem that may ever come up in your life. And that's where our joy is, to have the joy of knowing we don't just follow blind tradition that a pope or a bishop or somebody assigns to us. We follow the traditions that we find in the Word of God. We connect the generations, and these things remind us of Christ, and these things connect us together, and these things allow us to pass these on to new generations who desperately need to know. So, whenever you hear somebody, you read something on Facebook or Instagram or something like that. We need to unhitch from the past. Not so fast, Bucky. Because people who do that, their movements last about that long. Take a look at Israel. 3,500 years of persecution. 3,500 years of dispersion. 3,500 years of being conquered, destroyed, conquered and destroyed. And yet Israel stands, and they continue on with their children. Why? Because they didn't unhook from the meaningful traditions that caused them to pass those things on. Inadequate? Yeah, it's inadequate, and my heart grieves for them. But what's our excuse? Because we know the truth, and we need to live in the truth, and we need to stand in the truth. And you say, well, when you talk about this, what, what do you mean? It may be nothing more than you being able to say, in our home at Thanksgiving, I know you're getting ready to grab the drumstick. Let's stop and let's pray and let's give thanks to God before we do that. It may not mean anything to anybody else, but it is a reminder there is a God in heaven. He needs to be acknowledged, and that's your chance to witness for Christ. Even as you do that, take the traditions, Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter, birthdays, holidays, and all of that, and find a way, find a way to point people that are going through those with you to Jesus Christ. Moms, you are so integral in that. Don't give in to the pressure. Be used by God to connect the generations. If we ever needed it, we need it now. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And you thought since my voice was going, I was going to have a short one today. (laughs) But I hope, rather than looking at the time, I hope it was meaningful. And I hope that it imparted something that you will think about and put into action. Father, we ask you to forgive us. We've forgotten our history. We've forgotten about our traditions. We've abandoned them because we think we have a better idea. We think we're smarter than generations who have gone before us. We think we've got it made. We think we've got it all put together. In fact, Lord, sometimes we act like nobody knew how to worship until 2023. Father, forgive us for our arrogance and remind us, Lord, other people have come before us. Other people have paid the price so that we can be where we are now and that there are meanings Behind the things that we do. And if they don't point to Christ. I pray we would abandon them. But if they do. Then we pray father that we would embrace them. And we pray that we would understand them. And we pray that we would explain them. So that we can pass the faith along faithfully. And we pray Lord that you would bless everybody that is here today. For your glory. And in Jesus name. And let us hold fast to the traditions that we received from the apostles and from the word of God. Bless us, Lord, for your glory, and in Jesus' name, heal our land. Amen.